0: our vision as a church, just say this briefly, is to see the gospel of Jesus Christ change us. Ultimately to change everything. But I don't want us to be the type of people that starts pointing out at all the things that need to change and overlook the obvious. If everybody would just change my life would be better. How about we look at ourselves first and say let's let's see the gospel transform us and give us hope and give us a greater reason To exist and to get up in the mornings. And then let's worry about things outside of us. So that's our hope. That's our our vision is for the gospel of Christ to transform us as a collective body, the Axis Church. So, what this means is that the, the mission of the Axis Church is to exist as a God glorifying, God famous, not robbing Him of His glory because He will not tolerate that, the Bible says. He will not share His glory with another. So we're careful to give Him the glory and the praise and the honor, the respect. Making us second, Him primary and all the time. We exist to be a God-glorifying, gospel-centered. We're going to unpack the gospel these next six weeks. And you'll understand more and more what we mean by gospel-centered. And missional, meaning that we're, we're active. We're not just Christians in mind, but we're Christians in heart and in deed. We do life here in Nashville, in Germantown, in Salem Town, just as if we were in China, just as we were in Russia trying to start a church, taking the hope to the people, explaining why we're here, explaining the mission that we're on, explaining that we are representatives and ambassadors of Jesus Christ to to bring them hope. Missional. Disciple-making. We exist to be a disciple-making church to see men and women become like Jesus and see those on the trajectory of becoming more and more like Jesus help others become more and more like Jesus to where it doesn't all bottleneck at the top with the pastors of the axis but you are prepared for the ministry and you are making disciples. It's not the task of a class or certain pastors. And then finally, a church planning church. Our vision is to see 150 new little churches like the Axis all throughout the various unique, distinct communities of Nashville, Tennessee and its surrounding suburbs. So in a sentence, the vision is to see the gospel transform everything. The mission is for us to exist as a God-glorifying, gospel-centered, missional, disciple-making, church-planning church. We're on this trajectory. This is our work. Okay. So welcome to the mess ...of what that means, okay? To the authentic, to the real, sometimes just dirty, just openness community of what it means to try to do life with with one another. So welcome to that. Today's our very first Sunday working through our six-week series of Gospel 101. Our hope is that by God's grace that we will learn more clearly the grand central truth, the grand theme of the Bible... The Bible's big picture, pointing to the hope that is found solely in Jesus Christ. This is our task that's before us these next six weeks. Consider truth. Have you ever wondered, pondered, thought through, blogged about truth? What is truth? Reality. What is ultimate reality? The majority of us, I believe, if not all of us, have asked this similar question. This is significant. A a question that that we've asked lots of times, wanting to to find hope, and and to find such hope that we can hang our life on it. That we can not just place our brains, but place our hearts and our actions on it. Like a, a true center to our life. That one truth. Like, what is truth? I want to live in the truth. I don't want to be at the end of my life and wish I've done things differently because of something I learned in my 80s. I want to live a life on a trajectory of truth and knowing truth greater. This certain hope of this truth is something that we can lean on in times of suffering. But also, it's something that, that we can, uh, that when we find this hope, it teaches us how to celebrate and what to celebrate. It teaches us what's important truth, reality. And finding it. Just before the crucifixion and murder of Jesus Christ, he stood beside Pilate. And this one passage in John has them to, not in front of everybody, in in an accusation type setting where they're just throwing these different accounts that he's a blasphemer. Crucify him. It was removed from that setting where it's just Pilate and Jesus. And Pilate says... Your own nation and the chief priest has del- have delivered you over to me. They want me to kill you. It's up to me. So tell me, what have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to you. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you're a king? And Jesus answered, I love this. I I laughed out loud when I read this earlier. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. It's amazing to me. So, So you're a king? He's like, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born. For this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth, to bring the truth, to tell the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Then Pilate said to him, what is truth? regardless of where you're from, or regardless of if you went to college or where you went to college or what you do for a living, regardless of how you were raised or what culture you were raised in, I would like for you to allow me to speak to you regarding truth, the gospel truth from Christ's perspective, from the perspective of Scripture, these next five weeks and today. You see, I was raised in church, but I wasn't changed by these truths that we're going to be unpacking today because I was blinded by my personal search of simply trying to fit in. I was blinded because all I saw was good, kind, religious people, and it was fitting for me to try to be like them so as to not draw attention to myself and be part of the norm safety. If I can just fit in, I just want to belong. And it's something in every one of us. We want to belong. And so that desire that was in me became most important, not the search for truth, but the search to to fit in. And so I was blinded by all these deep, meaningful, hope-giving truths of the gospel. So this isn't merely about trying to get you to act good or be kind. This is much more magnificent than that. These next six weeks, we hope to go well beyond simply temporary behavior modification. We hope that you consider the Bible truths and, and learn to see them as important. I don't want to just tell you this is important and then have you, as a dummy, just say, okay, important, here it comes. I want to store this as important. I want you to process this and ponder this and, and pray through this and consider this. Is this important? Is this magnificent? Is this significant? As Pilate, ask as Pilate, what is truth? And allow me to present the Bible's case for what that is. Because I believe that here in the gospel, that you see information and you read information and you hear information, the most glorious information that your ears could ever hear, that your brain could ever comprehend, and that your heart could ever feel and be moved by. So let's pray as we begin. And I want you to pray with me. I'm going to pray for us all, aloud. I would like to ask you to pray silently, personally, and ask God, show me the truth. As simple as that as we get into our time today. And Christian, would you pray this prayer, show me the truth? Christ daughter, would you pray, show me the truth? And Christian, would you also pray, Pray that that God works in you in such a way that your mind and heart be joined together, resulting in change, changed by this truth. Let's do this. I'm going to give you a few seconds just to get a head start, and I'll catch up. Jesus, would you... Hear the, the cries, the, the prayers of your people. Lord, those who are outside of you and who have been doubting you, and they're meagerly, casually, yet something in them really wants to know the truth, but they're, they're just casually asking you to show them the truth. Would you do that? Lord, would you be with a Christian who says, Show me the truth? who really doesn't mean it because they feel like they've arrived, would you break through their hardened heart of of being good and being perfect in church culture? And would they see how hopeless they are outside of you? Would they still be changed by this gospel today? Lord, be with the one who is earnestly, humbly asking you, almost like it's one last chance for truth. They've tried so many things. Their life is nothing but a capital D disappointment. Their expectations have been shattered for what their life was going to look like. Would you tenderly, like a, a gentle shepherd, like a father over an infant, and would you tenderly teach them and cradle their heart and their life this morning and just speak to their heart's truth? Lord, would you speak to me regarding this truth? May I be the very first hearer of what you want to say today. Because you know that I am absolutely the most needy person in this room. And I need this. I need this to break me. I need this to inform me. I need this to encourage me. I need this truth so I can stop working in fear of man and and the power of performance and rest in what you've done for me. God, help us. We all need your help. Lord, would you find us open truly open to your truth today. In Christ's name, I ask these things. Amen. Amen. There are hundreds of stories in the Bible, in these 66 books that make up the Holy Bible, the Christian sacred scripture. But they all collectively point to one great story, one grand narrative. And as we get going in our gospel series, I want us to start first with some gospel framework. Essentially, this story can be separated into four main chapters. So if all this points to one story, one volume, one one big story, from beginning to happily ever after, it's like this. And you've heard me say it, but don't let it be routine. Here we go. The grand narrative, the grand theme, the big story, the big picture. Creation, fall, redemption, recreation. Every story, every book points... To one of those, if not all of those, chapters. Creation, fall, redemption, recreation. I want us to unpack these this morning. And this is where we're going to share our time together doing this. So let's first look at creation. Turn to Genesis with me, please. Yeah, turn there. Well, I think we're going to have the scriptures, but definitely turn there. There's a Bible around you. If you don't have one, take one of these. It's yours. That's why we have them here. Not just to use during this, but for you to take. And if you have a friend that needs one, pack one away in your bag. carry a lot with you to give away. It's a a great gift. So Genesis chapter, we're going to start in chapter 2. I'm going to read a little bit of verse 1, chapter 131, but then find your place in Genesis 2. Genesis 1, summarizing... All that God had created and made. We have 1 verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good. Creation. There's peace. There's a true acting authority. There is everything working in subjection to that authority. There is a beautiful cycle of how things work. Nothing is dysfunctional. There's no pain. There's no cancer. There's no anxiety. Everything from the one who is perfect, not subject, subjective Jeremy, but the objective creator says, very good. Then chapter 2. Verse 7 Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And now out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So he created this garden. In the middle were two trees. Significant, much more magnificent trees. Tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life. Jump down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. very first job was An organic gardener. You like that? And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Okay. Right there. Creation. Now we see the result. Death. Die. Fall. Creation. Fall. Redemption. We're going to see what he means by die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. He creates all this thing. He says, very good, good, very good, good. He gets the man. He sees him by himself, and he's like, this is not good. He needs a helper. This is not a good thing happening here. Verse 20, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not... There was, found, there was not found a helper fit for him. So he was given the task of pairing and naming all these things. Okay, so he's naming all these animals, and he's watching that God created a male and a female, a one and another. Like, it's like there's, there's two distinct different animals, but they look a lot the same, and he's naming them and sending them on their way. And he's kind of realizing, like, everything's paired except me. So not only did God see that it was wrong, God orchestrated him to be over the naming of these animals to get the point that, oh, wait a minute, I kind of feel left out here. I won't go any more graphic than that. Okay. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he was asleep, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. So he's a surgeon here. And the rib that God, the Lord God had taken from the man, he made, or literally built. I like that he formed man. Like, I can, I can form something out of clay found from the riverbank. But he built a woman. I love that distinction. Already you see something more magnificent and precious than just this ogre who's meant to oversee the garden. I just see women as just that, that precious prize. Love that. Just even the detail in how he writes this story. Not that all guys are ogres, okay guys? But you know what I mean. Like we... Anyway. <laughs> and the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made, built into a woman, and brought her to the man. Verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were unashamed. Were not ashamed. It's beautiful. There's harmony. There's peace. There's perfection. There's oneness. There's communication between God and man, between God and woman. This is what we're trying to get back to. This is contentment. This is more than contentment. This is true satisfaction. Contentment is just saying, well, I'm going to deal with the situation I'm in. This is pure satisfaction. There is nothing wrong with this situation. Chapter 3. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And interesting, he told Adam. So you see how he's trying to say, did he actually say it to you? I know he said it to Adam, but did he say it to you? Deceiving here, you see this. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree of life that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Speaking truth. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, you see, that's the result of being deceived. She actually saw it as helpful. She felt like she was doing the right thing. Pure deception. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. And the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together. And made themselves clothing, coverings, loincloths. Shame. You see already resulting in a piece of that death that he was speaking of. There's already now some separation. I need to I need to have something between God and myself. There's already shame here. And they heard verse verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife Stop there for a second. Who knows how long it'd been since they were created? I do know they've enjoyed peace and harmony and fellowship with God. When they would hear him coming in the garden, they would run to it. They would run to it. They would know that distinct sound, much different than any other animal. They would hear him coming to them. I don't know how that worked, okay? Just work with me here. And they would come in and they would be like, this is God. Let's go run to meet him. But something is different here. Something is distinct. This shame is producing something else in them. He says, the man and the woman, they heard God, and the man and the woman hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The very things they used to try to run around to try to get closer, they now hide behind out of fear, out of guilt. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he says back, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Words that he has never uttered before. He said back to Adam, who, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, notice he didn't say, yes I did. Automatically now you see deceit breeding deceit. And lie and guilt to try to cover up. He says this Well, the woman, not the woman that I have, he's already shifting blame from her back to God. The woman that you gave me, so I'm out of this thing by two ways. It's her fault, and then you made her. See this, the shame, this guilt, trying to shove it as far away as possible that he could. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Which he should have said, I ate. But the shame. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Again, she confesses, but she makes sure that he knows it wasn't her. It was kind of something else that led to this. And then he goes through, and the following, feel free to read it later today. We're not going to spend time here. But he goes through and basically gives curse. He curses the serpent which basically makes it slither on its belly the rest of its days, pointing to the cross, and his head will be crushed, which is exactly what Jesus Christ did on the cross, if we're going to get there. But he also says to the woman, you're going to have pain in childbearing. You're now going to have to submit to this man. And then to the man, he says, your work is going to be without, not without sweat. It's going to be, the ground's going to be harder to work with. You're going to have to earn everything parts of the curse but notice with me verse 21 and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife Eve garments of skins and clothed them already you see a merciful generous loving God had they gotten what they deserved it'd be over He said, the the coverings that you have made out of fig leaves, I'm going to shed blood and give you animal skins. Already pointing to what Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. You cannot forgive sin without the shedding of blood. Already God is pointing to, remember the grand theme, creation fall. He's already pointing to that redemption. Redemption through this act right here and what a loving act to still bear with man what a loving act to pursue man anyway man left alone I think would still be running in the garden running far away as he could from God but it was God who called to him and said Adam where are you my hope today is that myself along with you as we hear this that we would hear the Lord say Jeremy Sam, Jacob, Chad, Rebecca, Lacey, Kim, where are you? I want to give you some truth. I want to encourage you. I want you to see me as merciful and loving and gentle. I want you to see what I did to be able to have a relationship with you. Let's keep moving. This is the creation aspect this is the fall where we see here it's entered into separate we've entered into separation, hostility, unpacking more and more what it means to die. So we were sent out, as you can read later in, in Genesis uh, four, we were sent out from the presence of God. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, speaking on behalf of them, we were sent out away from the presence of God. Now there's division, there's hostility. There's actually, he says, he placed a flaming sword with, a, with an angel to separate the two in the garden. We don't know what to do with this guilt. We don't see a way out. We are desperate for a Savior. We're desperate For someone to come and reconcile, to bridge the gap between where we are and where God is. Enters the God man Jesus Christ. We celebrate this at at, uh, Christmas. Consider John 14, 6, the very words of Jesus Christ I am the way. Very specific. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, let's go back, Genesis, death, you will surely die, separation, fear, guilt, life, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, what, wait a minute, no one comes to the Father except through me, I thought I heard that right. So there's a way to the Father. There's a way to peace. There's a way to hope. I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Through Christ, we get to the Father. We know Jesus as the way, the truth, and life. So if we consider Him as the way and work through Him as the means to the Father, and we assume and, and we work with the framework that He's the truth and consider His words and His claims to be perfect, then we have the way. The way back to the Father. The way back to the garden before sin. Peace, harmony, con- more than contentment, satisfaction. Hope, this is a hope. We can hope now in Christ because he says that he is the way, the truth, and life. We can go there. Now let's see exactly what he did to be the hope, to be the, the way, the truth, and the life. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. It's to the right, a good bit. Go to the right. Ephesians chapter 2. It's around the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians passage right there. Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. Okay, here we go. We're going to find the fall in the first three verses and then we're going to get a picture of redemption in the next four. You ready? Ephesians 2 starting in verse 1 he's going to explain to us and you will surely die. If you take of this fruit you will surely die. He says and you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once fully participated in that you once walked in and as you were walking, you were following somebody. You were following the course of this world. You were following the prince of the power of the air, which is a picture of Satan. It's pointing to Satan himself. So you were following him. You, you were following the spirit that is not working, the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. This includes everybody. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, every one of us, and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all been cursed because of our first parents. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature, by nature, in other words, we couldn't help but do this, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's pretty hopeless. This is stating a fact for everyone in here. Maybe some now, but definitely all of us at some point. Before Christ has touched you, before, before Christ is seen and worshipped in your life as, Jesus, as Lord and Savior, as the hope, the way, the truth, and life, this was you. This determined who you were. But now we see a picture of redemption. But God, see that in verse 4? Being rich in mercy with the great love with which he loved us. You see how generous he's unpacking here? Paul's unpacking him as this generous, merciful, loving, giving God. Even when we were dead, he found us dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. There's hope. There's hope. If we can just get in with Christ, there's hope if we can just be with Christ, that glorious union with Christ, then there's a different, there's an entirely different situation available. He made us alive together with Christ, but it's by grace that you've been saved. Let's unpack this a little bit more. Go to 1 John 4. It's to the right a little bit more. Just past first and second Peter. First John is just before second John. How about that? That's great, isn't it? First John okay, anyway. That was funny. Yeah. All right, first John four. Let's look at nine and ten. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. Pastor Jacob, just unpacked this for us. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Again, that union, through him. If we could just get with Christ. It's a game changer. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the wrath bearer, the substitute, For our sins. With Christ comes true hope. Christ died on the cross. He suffered on the cross. He was beaten before the cross. He had to live a perfect life. Or the cross meant nothing. So he was our perfect representative in our life. Not sinning one time. You see that makes for a perfect substitute. For us. Because we have sinned. And the propitiation in that word, in that big term, it's unpacking the fact that his life is now our life. And our dirty, sinful life is now his life. And his gruesome death, which is the punishment for our sin, is the death that we were supposed to die. So now we live because he died. And because he was buried, he beat death. And at the end of that Ephesians passage, around verse 6 and 7, you see that we have been raised with Christ. You see how important it is to be with Christ. You have a perfect life where you used to be in a place of guilty. You do not have to die. There is not hopelessness after this life. There is life after this life. Because he died. And he suffered in the grave, but beating death somehow so miraculously so that we too can be raised to life with Christ. And also in verse 6 and 7 of Ephesians 2, it talks about how we have been raised with Christ into the heavenlies so that he can throughout all eternity. This is my summary of 6 and 7 of chapter 2 of Ephesians just lavish on us all His kindness and goodness and grace and love forever and ever and ever. It's like the Garden of Eden. If Garden of Eden was water, it's like eternity is like trying to stand in front of a fire hydrant wide open. It's just beauty. It's peace. it's, It's love. It's satisfaction. This is what we have if we can get in with Christ. We can't do this on our own. we got to be with Christ. So let's keep working. Let's go to John three sixteen. Most people could quote this passage, but very few could quote 17. So that's why we're going there. John 3, 16 and 17. All right, this is about to get good, okay? I'm just warning you, this is about to get exciting. I might, I might run a little bit. Would y'all be offended if I took off running down through there? No. Would that... That's tweetable, right? That's that's my pastor ran down the aisle. Okay, um, I'm a big boy. When I start running, like things happen. Okay, just want just want to warn you. Okay, momentum is different for a big guy. Something we can't stop. Okay, John three sixteen and seventeen. A little bit of eighteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Motivated by his love, he gives. He gave His only Son, Jesus Christ, so that whoever believes in Him, again, that union, in Him, it's so essential. In Him. Should not perish. Should not die. If you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. But if we're with Christ You will not die, but have eternal life. Yes, sign me up. That is hope. I want that. According to the Bible, this is how it works. For God did not send his son into the world to call names and say, Ha ha, you're dirty, you're a sinner. You're not as good as I am. God did not send Jesus into the world to do that. So we as Christians should not act like that to other people who do not know Christ yet. You with me? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved, reconciled, redeemed. What's those two words? Through him. The means. The union. Again, it's so incredibly essential to be in Christ. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Do you know why? Because the propitiation fact of of our redemption. Because Christ was condemned for us. The idea of propitiation is there's a big bucket of God's wrath. Just a big bucket of judgment that goes out to our sin. Because we ate of the fruit and by nature are children of wrath. And he dumped it on Christ. He dumped every single drop of condemnation so that now for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. It all went to Jesus. There is nothing but peace towards you in Christ. Let's go to 1 Peter 3. To the right of head. Remember just before John, 1 John. 1 Peter 3:18. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins. There's, There's no other suffering that needs to happen for sin. That's what I just said. The righteous Christ for the unrighteous us. That he might bring us to God. He might deliver us to God. How does he do this? By being put to death in the flesh, and yet we are made alive in the Spirit. This is at the essence of the gospel. Okay? Take a step back creation, fall, redemption, recreation. In this redemption aspect of our four volume set of the grand narrative you have in this this segment, this chapter of redemption who Jesus is, was, and will be, what he has done, what he is doing and what he will do. That redemption piece so climactic. It is beautiful. It's glorious. And it's where we read all that we have done and yet we see Christ say, I'll take the punishment for that. I'll take the punishment for that. I'll take the punishment for that. So that by the time we see the end of our life, it's like nothing but perfect. We, in Christ, God sees us as having not sinned and having always been perfect. Because Christ never sinned and he was always perfect. And he took Our punishment. One last passage here. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Go to the left just a little bit. 2 Corinthians 5.17. And here's the hope we have because of Christ's work. You ready? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see the hope there? There's a totally new situation. And then look at this. All this is from God, he says, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling, redeeming the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, not counting their sin against them, but rather on Him. He's removed the hostility, only leaving peace. Verse 21. For our sake, He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, He, God, made Jesus... To be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. This is hope. This is now a redeemed relationship with God. We now have life. We now have a reason to live. You see, the life of a Christian is a life of response. That's all it is. It's a life of thanksgiving. It's a life of, whoa, are you kidding me? There's nothing too hard for me to do that that you could ever ask of me. I will do anything because of how much you've loved me. Who am I to say that's too much to ask? Look at what you did. Look Look at who you sent into the world for me. And on the other hand, for seasoned Christians in particular, We think that our righteousness, our good deeds, our good acts, kind of make God a little bit more proud of who about us. That you know, I'm I'm glad I saved Jeremy. I mean, look at all he's doing. Like man, that's not how God is towards me. He looks at Jeremy and sees Jesus. He doesn't see me. If he saw me, I'd be in trouble. If he saw you, you'd be in trouble. But he sees Jesus. For those who are in union with Christ, in Christ. So I can do nothing good enough to make God say, ah, that's impressive. I can do nothing so bad that God says, uh, man, I wish he hadn't done that. He sees Jesus always perfect. And that's my boy. Never messing up, always. Doing the right thing. If it wasn't for Christ, I would be in a big, big bucket of trouble. But because Christ did what He did, I now do not fear death. This is not what I'm supposed to say necessarily. I'm just being honest with you. I don't fear death, death is not something that makes me anxious for the Christian death is the doorway out of this life to a place where we can no longer sin where there's no longer cancer where there's no longer sickness there's no longer trying to match up to somebody else there's no longer peer pressure there's no have, no more having to fight temptation there's no more having to deal with others and having to work through and try to fight this and fight that it's like man up there there's peace and there's no possibility of sin give me that Who wants this over that? A deceived man. A man or woman who has not seen Jesus Christ for who he really is. For someone who has sought truth everywhere except in the true words of Christ himself. I believe that if you see Jesus for who he really is and you see you for who you really are, there is not a chance that you wouldn't just hurl yourself at Jesus. This is redemption. This is love. This is where we're considered God's chosen bride, his child. We have been adopted. All this language is so loving and beautiful through Christ. Now, recreation briefly. Go to Revelation towards the very back. This is a shadow of things to come. Just as he changes us, the new kingdom is going to be changed. This perfect kingdom that's going on right now. Where there is no chance of sin. We were singing this. Beckler, this is the very first song that you sang with us today. This gives us a picture of heaven. This gives us a picture of What it's like to leave this life and go through the entry door of death to the new kingdom. This is what's happening right now. You ready for this? No, you're not. You're not ready. You're not ready. Then, verse 11, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, num- numbering mirages and mirages and thousands of thousands, or literally, as Pastor Jacob was informing me this morning, this means like thousands times a thousand times a thousand. All these saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. This is post cross. This is rejoicing for a reason. Worthy is the one who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The only response to being so loved. There's no biblical proof for this. I just think I get excited reading this, and I think of this. All the animals that can make noise, I think they make noise right there. And I think that it's the music in the heavens. I know this is crazy. You probably think I've lost my brain. But I really think that all the animals that make noise, they're going to worship. They're going to make noise to the king one day. They were created for a reason. They were created to, to make those noises. And I think it's greater than what's simply in this lifetime. And I think right there, as he says, you're going to hear every animal. You're going to hear every fish in the sea blowing bubbles. You're going to have every bird chirping. You're going to have every animal, however they make noises out of their mouth and nose, and you're going to hear cicadas with their little wings. And they're not going to be aggravating. They're not going to try to fly in your face. They're not going to make your car dirty and add stuff to the front end that you can't wipe off. Okay? It's all going to be to worship him. And you're going to see in that moment, man, I can just, man, this makes me excited. I can imagine being right there with Adam and Eve and them saying, yes, this is the way it used to be. This is where, this is it. This is how things happened in the Garden of Eden before that stupid snake. This is where it's supposed to be. This is satisfying. Would you join me there? Would you be there with me one day and be a part of that multitude? The Bible says that you must see Christ as your substitute, dying the death that you deserve and worship Him as such and then you can be in Christ and to live to Him, to worship Him, to honor Him and we can stand there and say, yes, this is what I've been searching for. This is it. I dare you. I dare you to hurl yourself at Jesus this morning. And watch him cradle you like you've always wanted to be loved. And he'll hold you in the redeeming arms of Christ. That is love. It's not love because simply he's doing it. It's love because of what we really deserve. That just speaks volumes beyond the word love. That's where you enter the word grace. So essentially, the Bible has one message. God saves sinners. If this four-volume set could be reduced to a title, I think that's the gospel theme. God saves sinners. Creation, fall, redemption, celebration, recreation. I dare you to trust Jesus with those of you who, have, who do not worship Jesus as Lord, but you're still in your little search, not little like it's insignificant, but little like it's solo. It's just you're looking for truth. My prayer is that you would consider Christ and what he says and not be as pilot and overlook the obvious. But when you ask Jesus, what is truth? you hear him in john 14 say i am truth and you say not doubt it crush that you need to say i am in i believe you and i'm going to follow you because that belief is greater than just a belief it's faith i have faith that you acted on my behalf help me the bible says that he sends his help The Bible says that he sends his Holy Spirit to help you. And he gives you the strength and the power and the ability to make it through the rest of this life living unto him so that there is that door that you get to walk through however that moment of death is and you walk into the new kingdom and you join in with the song that we read in Revelation. And those who are saved those who are Christians already, is this truth changing you today? Is this setting you free? John 8, 32, Christ says this, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Are you knowing it? And are you being set free by it and living differently because of it? Is it just information in your brain or is it moved to your heart and actually setting you free and causing you to live differently? Man, I would hate I would hate to live life with a packed full brain and an untouched heart and be shocked when I left this world. My friends, this is important to know what's going to happen when this life is finished. Would you trust in Christ? Christian, would you be changed by this hope? Please, Christian, be changed. Live, not just as a result of a prayer that you prayed 10 years ago, but unpack those truths that are found in that prayer and live accordingly to those truths every second of every day. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your help today. Thank you for how encouraged I feel. Lord, um, it's amazing how this story never, never gets old, but it continually encourages and continually brings life, Lord, and continually calls many to repent and trust you. Lord, would you be with the ones who are now in this room who have trusted you as Lord and Savior, who have lived unto you and now feel themselves creeping slowly towards the brain side of things, and not really feeling you and and loving you as they should. Would you love them well? And would you bring them to repentance? And would they be able to seek uh, forgiveness from you and pursue you at a greater level? Lord, through the Word, Lord, through prayer, and through the Christian body, the church. And Lord, for those who are Christ doubters, for those who are presently outside of Christ, who do not know you as Lord and Savior, but just a man who lived a good life and died. Lord, would you show them now, would you move in their hearts and do something they can't do for themselves? And would you show them that you are the way, the truth, and life, and that you acted on their behalf for them? Lord, make this personal for them. Lord, lead them to repent and turn from their self-righteousness and turn, Lord, from their sin and run to you and hurl themselves to you. God, in this moment right now, and Lord, would would you give them the boldness to come and tell me so that we can rejoice together and I can help them build this framework of what it means to live in light of the gospel. God, give them the boldness to do that, please. Lord, help us and continue saving us. In Christ's name, amen.